Well, thank you for joining us today with the Miniature Wargaming Labs podcast. I'm James. I'm Brian. And today we want to talk to you about how price point affects game design. And of course, the first company you think of is Games Workshop. But first, let's talk about what we have on the hobby desk. Brian, what have you been working on today? Uh, well, I last week I was talking about uh, Stargrave. So I finished a couple miniatures for that. Uh, luckily, I have a full table of terrain for perfectly for that, so I don't have to worry about that, which is really nice. Um, so I kind of uh, we had a some we had a person come in to the store recently and get very excited about uh, uh, Gaslands. So I decided to uh, take a couple of my cars out and uh, start working on them. Okay. I was, let me ask you, have you used those Anvil Industry bits yet? Yeah, I've, I've, uh, I've made a couple different cars with them. Uh, there's a lot of very useful and very awesome bits on those sprues. Uh, since I have a couple of the made-for-gasland sprues uh, that have been made, it's been really awesome seeing what you can make with the different ones. Because yeah, you have the North Star uh, Gasland sprue, and then you got a bunch of the Anvil Industry like because uh, they sell their bits individually yeah and what's cool is like so when they when you do resin or metal they have a little uh end uh to the sprue where it connects to everything uh when they spin it and what they were really cool that's usually where companies put their markings and where they where they put their trademark and everything like that they were really smart and on one side they had their trademark and name and everything on the other end was more stuff that you can use for decking out your cars. So yeah, well, because I buy a lot of stuff from Anvil Industry, and I remember they did like a sale, like the Gasland sale, and so yeah. you hopped on. That way, we could get free shipping and handling, same like we do with night model night models. Um, I saw that on there of where I thought, well, this is a funny textured um, sprue here, and then you realize it's actually like greeblings like put on your car. And so yeah, like, they, some of them are like uh, lights. Uh, some of them are like vents. I mean, there was like a whole bunch of little stuff. So like everything on that sprue could be used on your car, which was great. Uh, I definitely recommend checking out uh, Anvil Industries bits for Gaslands. And uh, the, there's a two sprue package that you can get from North Star, uh, Implements of Destruction. Uh, is what it's called and that one is great because it, you actually get two motorcycles two full motorcycles through those sprues and that's i think that's the only place we've really seen the motorcycles at the right scale for gas lines yeah unless you get them custom printed it's it's really hard to find motorcycles at the same scale because if hot wheels motorcycles are not the same scale as hot wheels cars to prevent you from shoving them up your nose. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Let's see. On mine, I finally got the walls for my uh, Dark Uprising, for my Necromunda terrain done. I keep saying that episode, but I can finally stop bringing that up. <laughs> Didn't do the doors, but I've, I have the doors from the original box set. So the doors from the Dark those can just hold off for a little while. <laughs> I've, I've painted enough Necromunda terrain. <laughs> so wait, you don't go from like 
halfway finish a single product and project and move on to the next one? Well, so let's put it this way. What kind of gamer are you? At, well, so the call, so some of the platforms were done and then I went on to something else. And that's where I was like, I'm going to finish this up. And that's where I said, I hit the um, doors and like, you know what? I, I can hold off. I already have Necromunda doors on there. The thing, um, the thing I found is uh, while I was working on it, um, I get a lot of paints as like presents or I inherit them from other people get out of gaming. So I don't normally buy myself a lot of paints. And so I'd use uh, rust for the rust effect. I use um, the troll slayer orange from games workshop. That's how I did all my bases. So I want to do the terrain and everything to match it. So it's the same rust effect, but I was looking at my army painter and I've got like a ton of lava orange. And so I tried it and it's like, well, maybe I could water this down, use it as a glaze to get the rust effect. Cause I got like three bottles and I, I just don't use it. And um, I put it on there and it's like, you know, it's too red. And then I go back over and I put the troll slayer orange down um, on it. And it makes this cool effect of like two different types of rust. So it makes this textured rust look to the platforms. I thought, wow, that looks awesome. No, no, stop. I don't need to make this terrain project take even longer than it already is. <laughs> but I found uh, Army Painter makes a uh, rust orange. So Aaron yes. got me that mega paint set for uh, Christmas. So I was digging through there looking for it. Yeah. I, instead, she, this is the second time she's bought me one. And so it has different colors from the mega paint set from like two, three years ago. Mm-hmm. And so I had a rust orange and that's Troll Slayer orange. So I was able to drop her bottle, bottle it and make the rust effects. I was happy about that. But, you know, that's the problem you run into. Like you plan a paint job and say, well, I'll just put a little more detail in into it. It's like, no, stop. I need and to get you this to done. Everything. You can't just do that in one little corner. Oh, yeah, you that, have to do it all over. Well, that's the thing is like all my Necromunda games have the same rust texture to them. So I wanted the terrain to match them. And it's like, yeah. I can't go start changing it now. Um, and I also finished up my Napoli boys, my Italian, my uh, Italian street thugs for nice. street wars. That's another gang that takes under a week. So I can get the train done. Now I've got to figure out what I'll move on. I've got more street wars games to do, but um, something I wanted to bring up, uh, we like to do a product spotlight. And this is something that I really love out of Warlord games. So on the YouTube channel, we did like unboxing of the SBQR um, game that they have. It's to match their Hail Caesar. So it's their um, skirmish ancient warfare. So you get like your Caesars, legions, Romans taking on Gauls or whatever you want to do from the ancient world. But it's a skirmish game for that. Classical so. fantasy, or not fantasy, but you know, <laughs> classical war games. I meant yeah. to say war games. Yeah, you start <laughs> moving into like the real historical stuff. And yeah. what what I liked about it is uh, there's some people on the East Coast when I travel, they go play it. So like, okay, I'll get it. And it looks interesting. And I can use it for Infamy, Infamy from Two Fat Lardies. So it's like, okay, I'll expand into this. So I guess one of the issues with SPQR is that people quickly found that it was unbalanced. So when they designed that game, I think they just took a guy, he spent a couple months in a locked closet, he came up with the game, and they published it. And then there were some balance issues. So they decided to reprint the book. But instead of doing a second edition, what they've done is just do a revised edition. So instead of saying, okay, here's the FAQ or the errata for the book, 
here's the second edition. What they said is, you know what? We're just going to print the book again with all the fixes in it because the fixes were very minor. So like point cost things, and some campaign issues and such a minor change. They said, you know what? We'll just call it revised edition. So the original rule book. That's really still... soon for a new book. Yeah. So it's, I think it's just over a year. And it probably would have come out sooner if it hadn't been for COVID. And I think that's why they call it a revised edition. But what I love about it is the company said, came out and said, we know there'll be a huge frustration if you had to buy a second edition book or another book. So here's what we're going to do. Buy one of these boxes of basic infantry, like 30, 25 to 30 bucks, and we'll give you the rule book for free. I can't think of any company because you imagine even a minimal rule book, 20, 25 bucks. Yeah, 30 nowadays. I mean, 30 yeah. is what I usually expect to pay for any rule book. Yeah, for any minute. Yeah, if you're not Minimum. in the blue book, if you're not in the blue book series of um, Osprey games, you're going to pay 30 bucks or more. I mean, yeah. that's yep. just how it is. So they're giving away so for free. Free. Yeah, that's, that's huge. Well, you know, I could actually see it moving the game more than it ever would have before just because people want to take advantage of the free. And if you already have some of these miniatures, it's like, sure, I'll buy eight more Romans or 10 more Gauls and I get a free rule book on top of it. The issue I have right here is since um, you, Etten doesn't carry Warlord games. No, we uh, do not. You go on their website and you type in stores in Albuquerque and Etten comes up as a distributor of Warlord games, but you guys don't actually sell this I stuff. actually don't know how that happened. Um, that probably happened before I started, but I I should look into that. That's a very that's a that's a good point that I keep forgetting about. Yeah, because this this runs until March 2021. So what I'm really hoping is that they expand the boxes. Like I'd like some Roman cavalry to go with because since I have the starter box. And uh, so here's my dilemma. Free shipping and handling from Warlord Games is 80 bucks. Um, now you can get like a regular box of Gauls or Romans, 25, 30 bucks and get the rule book. So I'm, I'm, 50, I'm 50 bucks short of getting the free shipping and handling. So it's like, it tempts you into buying <laughs> up to the 80 bucks. <laughs> so it's like, so I'm saving, I'm spending more money so I can save money in the long run. Um, but then I was looking at, I can get the starter box again, 60 bucks, get the new rule book, the cards, the decals, like, um, was it four sprues of Romans, another army of Gauls, the special characters. So it's like, that's 60 bucks. Just a plain box of Gauls is half that price. So it's like, so if I get two boxes of Gauls, I actually get like another full army again. So it's one of those things like, I could just buy the starter box again. <laughs> get That's the new rule book. Really, really good idea and a really good deal. Um, yeah. If I was, if I had any interest in historicals, which I have <laughs> I made my that. point over and over again that I am not, this would definitely be something I would definitely back for sure because. I mean, a free rule book and, you know, you'd be able to spend that money on miniatures, which, you know, is the more exciting thing of the hobby is the miniatures, but you need the rule book to play them. 
Well, you know what I what I liked about the game and what we did in the YouTube video is when SPQR came out, you can you can either take it as a two person game. So you have Romans versus Gauls, but Romans can hire Gauls as mercenaries. So you actually can just buy all the box and either use it as a two person set, or mm-hmm. you can actually make that an army and play a heck of a campaign and like start with Romans and add mercenaries onto your force and grow your, grow your force through a campaign. How many box sets actually allow you to do that of where you can actually keep playing forward because best case scenario, um, like 40K, you get the Indominus box set and you've got an infiltration level force. Great. But you're not doing a crusade and like growing your force or anything like that. Here you no. actually have the box to start playing and grow, which I, I really love, especially for 60 bucks. Yeah, that's a really good deal. And the yeah, the fact that you could play more with it because i mean that's one of the things that i don't like about uh the 40k boxes and the games workshop boxes altogether is unless you get the really really big boxes that for one army you're not able to do a full game with them you usually have to buy more supplemental stuff so having uh, a game where an actual start starting box is a starting box means a lot. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that's a good transition into what we wanted to talk about here in the main uh, area of the show. So as part of our effort to reach out to the community, Daniel, uh, who's local here, I won't give his last name. um, He wrote a question of how does price affect game design? And in that Facebook post, he also included um, a link to Games Workshop's uh, Warhammer for Schools program, which I've seen the posters for at the Warhammer Rio Rancho that this program exists, but I never really looked at it because I homeschool my kid. Yeah, I didn't <laughs> even know it existed, honestly. Yeah, I've, I've never really heard of anyone diving into it. So I actually clicked the link and looked at it. But let's focus on the point you were talking about there and where we're leading to with this SPQR is that different companies seem to design their games to drive their business. And I think Games Workshop has it down. The way they design their game, and even if you look at how they alter their rules of the game over time, it's kind of like, let's take, we'll have one edition and it starts out infantry heavy buy all these boxes of entry infantry and throw them in your game. And then it's like, Oh, here's a new codex or here's a new uh, supplement book. Um, you know what? The game's now armor. And so it's like, okay, let's pull everyone into buying tons of tanks and dreadnoughts. And I like, gosh, the new Primaris tanks are like 90 bucks a pop. And they've got like four different versions now yeah. coming out soon. Well, there's some that are like 110. And yeah, so I mean, you buy the $90 one and you buy the $110 one, you got two units for $200. Yeah, and that's um, so you can see that of where in most let's compare it to like Bolt Action, which is a platoon level game, just like uh, Warhammer 40k. I mean, Warlord was started by people that were found to be redundant 
at Games Workshop. They decided to form their own company. So they made platoon-based games. So Bolt Action's it. You see what Warhammer did is they made these special characters, um, like really the focus. So armor and special characters periodically become the focus of the game. But so, I mean, think about what they're doing with the price there of like a $30 character. So like one tiny sprue of plastic becomes absolutely essential. Now, if you look at that amount of plastic, it's a squad, like 50 bucks and you get 10 guys. So what's the balance there? So you can see their price point is driven of like, we know you're only gonna buy one box of everything. So like Space Marines, let's make a whole bunch of different units so that you buy one of everything. Because game mechanics wise, it doesn't make sense to buy two of the same squad um, or two of the same special character. So we know you're only gonna buy it once. So we're gonna get you when you buy that Unless one. Unless you're orcs, so then you buy, you know, <laughs> 10 boxes of the base orcs just to start, you know, just get you started with an army. Well, so I'll say that, you know, Space Marines is like their big one. They always add more of Space course. Marines yes. and everything. But yeah, they have the elite armies. So let's go um, say where you only need a couple figures. The, the classic is Age of Sigmar. Yes. With the giants now. Of where yeah, you only need by, four. Yes, by four giants. <laughs> but, but think about how if you're a company and your job is to move miniatures, how does that affect your game design? And what we've seen from Games Workshop is a constant shifting and tweaking of the game and this concept of what they call overpowering. So there's this drift of whatever's the latest arm. So it actually creates this chase of where you keep buying new things and new books because they keep steering the game over this arc over time. And that's, that's how they get it. So they make it almost like a subscription model of like, if you want to stay on the cutting edge, you know, you've got to buy it. everything. And, and of course, the exact opposite of that is Battletech, of where no matter how many times they say they revise the rule books to make new rules, I literally cannot tell the difference between maybe I'm not deep enough into the rules. I can't tell the ones from when I was a kid from the ones that just came out now. I've only played it a handful of times, so I couldn't help you with that one. It's like, um, all I know is that it flies off the shelf as soon as it comes in. So it's gotta be doing something right. Well, you know, I think, so when I was, when I used to go to Eagle and empire, I remember uh, the store owner there said, uh, when Battletech pre-Clan, so the first time the clan came out, not the latest box set, yes, he would have 20 people in his store playing Battletech. And he said it was just a great game. And then the clan came out and the clan mechs were just completely overpowered and they just destroyed um, all the inner sphere mechs. So then he said that that just ruined the game. It created such an unbalance and people had their beloved armies that this adding this new army, people didn't really want to shift to clans and um, that killed the game. And he said, I remember the store owner said, you know, that was a horrible move on the side of the company. And I said, what do you mean? Their mistake was not shifting it back because that's what Games Workshop does is they design their game to be unbalanced one way. And then when people don't shift or they shift along, they'll unbalance it the other way and get you to buy more. Yeah. Yep. That, that was, that was Battletech's big mistake was not 
every six months shifting the meta, as we say, from one extreme to the other. Yeah, I haven't been gaming around long enough to really see the differences in that game. But yeah, your your example of 40k, as soon as it goes this way and they're like, oh, okay, yeah, Necrons are the best right now. And then like a couple, like a year down the line, Necrons are like low tier while the next, the arm, the newest army that just came out is top. And then, you know, next, next version comes out and Necrons are back in top and just an example, but yeah. They, they'll pull you different ways to get you to get more miniatures. Well, so something that I think I've seen, especially with like um, Games Workshop, um, and I don't know if any other company does this, maybe Legion a little bit, uh, Star Wars Legion, of where they take the actual annual results of tournaments, and the classic is with Age of Sigmar, and like with each annual or general's handbook, they'll rebalance the points based upon the tournament scene. So you have the situation that you see in retail of where the alphas drive um, the game design, the point, and what I mean by game, the point costs, because how much different models cost in the game when you're balancing a force, and then which models are being catered to and sold are being driven by what is actually a very small part of the community, because how many people actually go out and play tournaments compared to how many people actually buy all the models not not so much no yeah the the tournament scene is is large but it's still a small percentage of the player base uh worldwide or even statewide um i for one will probably never go to a tournament um just because i'm not very a tournament person and the 40k tournament scene just doesn't seem like something for me um but that being said i know plenty of the other people that love to go to the uh tournaments that go to lvo every year uh go to uh uh adepticon and all the other different ones um but, you know, and I, I like playing with them as well. Um, but it's it's just not for me. And especially now, like last year, there were no tournaments. That, or, uh, <laughs> LVO was the last one uh, since last year. So really, so there's no updating of uh, armies because... Well, they keep updating them. I don't know what well, they're basing it on. <laughs> that's the thing is that people are finding it a little odd when they're buying their armies and it's a little off kilter. Um, I've heard a lot of stories in the store about, you know, unbalanced armies and points and weird changes with FAQs and everything. Um, because now instead of where you get these people experiencing a lot of different uh, meta clashing in these big uh, like LVO type tournaments, you have just li- very like small pockets of people who play similar styles. They don't, I mean, like I play several armies. I play them all pretty much the same. Like I have my style of play and each one has its own flavor. Um, But without that, that exchange of metas, you get very skewed 
numbers. So I, I, I think the, the balancing of 40K right now and GW is odd and off. Yeah, the, but if you think about it, so GW is probably the most expensive and the most expensive to stay on top of. And it's the most driven by the tournament scene. But what do we say every episode? Like anywhere you want to go in the country, any day of the week, it's the only game that you know that if I drop in right now, I could get a game yep. in on. And so what you're really paying for is not so much the game design, it's just you're paying for the prevalence. You're yep. paying for the privilege that you know you can get a game in. The community's there. Yeah, I mean, I know, like, I know people that live in small towns and they have a group larger than 10. You ask any other game and they're like, yeah, no, there's might be one person that plays it. He's the one with everything. So we just go to, over to his house and play it because he has everything. <laughs> so that, so in game designs, there's smaller companies, but you know, I don't think they could, they might want to do the churn that product churn that Games Workshop wants to put along, put out, but I don't think any of their existing customer base would ever tolerate it. Or it's like, no. why, why should I keep paying this amount of money for a game that like me and another person play? Well, so they're a very good example of that right now is Marvel Crisis Protocol, where their products are coming out at an accelerated. Uh, time frame and the overall consensus of the community is that it's just too fast too much and with such a beloved like title and uh trademark it's really like people grew up with a lot of these uh, a lot of these characters and they got into gaming and then now they have this great game where their characters that they loved and that they followed through different storylines are being made into a miniature game that they are now playing. And when you have two new miniature, two new miniature boxes come out twice a month, and each of them is over thirty dollars each. Oh yeah. I mean, it's it's really hurting the like the player base because they can't you can't keep up with it it's to the point where you choose you wait for it to come out and you choose what you want to get you can't grab everything because it is so fast and so uh expensive that it's detrimental to your gaming like if if you want to keep up if i wanted to keep up with everything that's coming out for mcp i would have to drop every other game because you know, it's I, just that expensive. I, and I wonder if that's why they do it. So I think Games Workshop, because there was a time they had multiple game lines, and then they got that one CEO who basically said, we're going to streamline down to two games. Get rid of Gothic, get rid of Necromunda. It's just going to be 40K and Fantasy Battle and then Age of Sigmar. We're just going to carry two games. And then we'll shrink the customer base but they'll buy everything we make. So there's a time that even with Games Workshop, you could be a completionist on everything. Mm -hmm. And now they've just expanded their game lines to where you can't be a completionist on it. Oh no. And so I know it creates two instincts in you. Like, let me give up 
or let me just drill down into the parts of the Games Workshop universe that I really like. Let me exactly. focus. No, that's a delicate balance because say you're a smaller company and you make really cheap metal miniatures. There are good sculpts, something like Funky Skull. I've got the Street Wars NYC here. It's a small company. It's a cheap rule book, cheap models when compared to Games Workshop. I can own everything, which I pretty much bought everything. But you know what? I now have everything. So I'm, what else am I going to buy yeah. from it? And, you know, I just bought the game, but honestly, if he came out with a new rule book every two years and he charges like 25 pounds for his rule book, by the way, they're on sale now for eight pounds. He's Not talking bad. about going to a version two. So I think he wants to clear out his stock, but of course, who knows when we'll get around to it. So now would be a good time to buy the rule book, but it's like, that's the same thing in Battletech had. You've seen the guys that are old school Battletech at Etten. They have the old metal ones from the Ralph Partha days. They bought everything. And it's like, well, what are we going to do to get them to buy more? We've already kind of like played with the variants in like what all the different weight classes of mechs can do. And then they just up the technology level and started creating like electronic warfare and electronic countermeasures and like the endo steel suits and like, which started to unbalance the game, which people didn't like. So you end up with this community that likes, I like 3025 pre-clan mech. I've already got the mechs. I've got the rule books. I'm done. It's like, how can any company survive on that? Because everyone who's going to play Battletech has probably already been born and has probably already got them. <laughs> I mean, the new box... Yeah. The, the advantage of the new box sets has been the new sculpts. Yes. Where they said, okay, with the, I mean, it's technology. the same miniatures that it's the same miniatures that have been already out, but just new sculpts. And that's, what's really driving the um, market of them is, you know, people want those new sculpts. Yeah. Cause they're, I'm sorry. They're better than the uh, old metal ones. Yes. Yeah. And like I had somebody the other day come in and he's like, yeah, I mean, I really like I'm glad that people are playing it because I want to play, but I'm not going to buy any more because I have all the old metal ones and these are already been released. There's nothing new, like other than like the rules or like cards and everything. The miniatures are not new. They're new sculpts, but they're not new miniatures. Yes. So like. Yeah, your marauder from 20 years ago and your marauder today, a marauder is a marauder. A marauder is uh, a marauder. But now, so one that... of the companies that I really like that their their release schedule is probably one of the best I've seen. Um, it's Infinity and Corvus Belly. Um, they release anywhere from six to seven. Uh, boxes or miniatures or uh, items a month and that's it so they release it they release exactly what they're going to be selling that month in a press release and then that next month you can order it from your games game store and really i know a lot of people that you they buy everything and that's a one month purchase purchase so if you plan your scheduling out your your monetary scheduling out and you can keep up with every infinity purchase with no problem because it's once a month drop 
you could set your watch to it, which is really nice because then you're not, you're not, it's not every week, like uh, games workshop. It's not a big release every two weeks, like MCP it's once a month. I could get all these miniatures and have everything. Or if you're just playing one faction, you're getting a release maybe every third, every three months. So you're really not spending a lot on infinity just to keep up with your faction. You're spending a like $40, 40 to $60 every three months, which is really affordable. Yeah. That's um, I think Corvus Belli does a really good job of writing that line between um, supporting multiple factions. Cause that that's the other way you make money is like, okay, everyone's bought all the existing miniature lines. Let's introduce a new army, new factions or models within those factions. They've done a good job of writing that line of where I don't feel the need to be a completionist and have all the models. And that's probably because I joined around N4. So there's no way I'm going to go through the back catalog <laughs> and try to catch up. It's like, no. okay, I'll just, I'll just buy my one. But you know, Games Workshop, does that of where they add armies on mm-hmm. like when they added the Talon said, okay everyone's buying everything let's add another army but look what that does with the game design is because you got to make that army different you can't just say well they're Tau they're just space marines but stupider or something like that like you've got to make them play differently and of course if you're bolting that on to an existing rule set now you create a chance for it to be clunky or unbalanced. Yes. Which, as we discussed earlier, Games Workshop has found that way to turn into a marketing strategy <laughs> to push you into the different lines of miniatures. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, I was at a, another local game store today and this person was complaining uh, about how he can't get any new Necron stuff. And he was complaining about how he played Necrons since uh, second edition or whenever they came out. I think it was second or third edition. And that he's been playing them loyally since then. And now that he now that they got new miniatures, he wants all the new miniatures, but he can't get them because everybody everybody wants the new miniatures. Well, there's a reason for that. It's because the company wants everyone to buy the miniatures. And so they updated them and made them really good and made them popular. So, you know, people are going to buy what's popular. Just like Pokemon right now. (laughs) It's just like that. As soon as something goes popular, you're going to expect to see more sales, um, lower stocks because everybody's buying it. upped prices on the secondary market it's um that's how games workshop does they hype their stuff and then release it and ride that hype train and then that's how they keep their games going is just keeping that hype train going and going and going yeah but i mean you you have to do that because there's basically two types there's two types of companies out there there's real companies uh, let's say three. Okay, there's your Games Workshop, your Warlords, of where you have a manufacturing plant on site, you have a marketing department, an HR department, you're a real company. Yes. And so you have you have a number to hit. 
you've got to make your year. If your games workshop, you're probably traded. So yes, those big companies on Light Avenue and Nottinghamshire, they've got to make their numbers. Corvus Belli, uh, Modifius has to make their numbers. So they're real companies. Then you have the step down guys who are just, you know, the mom and pop. Uh, I'd hate to say small to medium sized enterprises because under like US tax, that's five, 500 people or less. I doubt Games Workshop has 500. Yeah, employees. exactly. Well, so I mean, I, I they do because oh, of yeah, production. I'm, yeah, I'm thinking headquarters. Shipping. Yeah, I'm thinking headquarters. Yeah. But so, I mean, you put the whole company together, you're going to have a lot more than 500. So that's that's where that number comes in. So yeah. So they're they're probably the large enterprise, but like most of the other games. So let's say there's something smaller out there of where there are people that can do it full time, but they normally either specialize to making miniatures or making rules. Mm-hmm. And sometimes both together, but it's like one or two people and, you know, they're not living the life of Riley there off their, uh, the fortunes that can be made in the miniatures world. Um, yes. And then there's the guys that like the weekenders, like um, this is something they do out of their garage or um, it's a hobby. It's not a full-time job. Um, that really affects how, they design their games because they know like if you're a small one man shop and you're only bringing in this much a year. um, And if you're not big enough, you can't ask your existing customer base to support, you know, that growth. So it's that tricky part of how do you click over to the next level or do you even want to exactly um, for a lot of these games? So because as you said, it's like, I can't ask you for, to buy more products and more armies and more factions if there's nobody to play with. Um, yeah. I remember I, so I was going through my old dragon magazines. And so I found ads for games workshop from back in like uh, the late eighties when they started making their move. So it was a yeah. jobs is a jobs application, like a full page. Say so join joined the fast growing games workshop with uh they they wrote it up with a few and they had like the old computers from like was that about when they moved out of the van (laughs) so this is this is they moved out of london they moved to nottinghamshire and they actually like started to grow and make their own stores so it was when they first started putting stores into the u.s and it was like build a career into the 80s 90s and even 2000s (laughs) so this is like 15 years from now you join us you can still have a job with us but, you know, they were one of the ones that clever that they owned all their manufacturing. Um, back then, they even did manufacturing out of Baltimore. Um, they manufactured oh, wow. their metal bits out of there. Um, so they make their plastic, not even sure, send it to Baltimore. Baltimore would add the metal bits and then they'd ship it throughout the U.S. because they didn't want to pay shipping for the metal. So I went up there like twice. That was like 20 years ago. Um, and there you could get Ford World stuff. So when they talk about opening up like the Forge World cafes in like Texas, it's like that used to exist in Baltimore. It's like, yeah. So it's like everything that's old is new again. But <laughs> <laughs> that's that's uh, that's how it is. Well, you know, but that was they had to charge a higher amount of money than anyone else because they had a store. They needed to pay for all these employees, the HR, the store space. Um, of course, something we've, we've done is I know we've, we basically ran the numbers on Warhammer Rio Rancho. You mm-hmm. figure up in Rio Rancho, 
you're paying a dollar square foot per month. And then when you, every time they release like a special miniature that, you know, you can only buy from the Warhammer stores and it's only going to come out, it's a splash release. And I've seen the line at that store it's and it big. starts forming like two hours. Cause I've made that mistake before saying, Oh, I'll, I'll get this guy head I'm five minutes away. I head down there and there's like the line by the Chinese place down to the GNC of people who want to get in and get this model. And they only have so many on site. I think we actually figured that if they did that four times a year, they basically cover their rent. Like the store pays itself just on the special release models. Yeah. And the rest of the time you're just paying for the guy, his, you know, his health insurance costs and for him to be there. And he's not yeah. even there that often. <laughs> We tried to stop by there that one time. And say I'm closed. It's like a one man yeah. shop now. I was like I, I didn't feel like coming in. And that was when it was like two two people. Yeah, well, one in a part timer, but yes. The thing, it's one of those things. It's like um, your player base defines how you can get a game in, and how much you get a game in defines how much you're willing to pay, or as we call them games, be jerked around by Games Workshop. <laughs> by what you've got to buy so it's it's one of those things um the more prevalent the game the more you're going to pay yeah just because you want that time in there um you can definitely get a lot cheaper deals on these other small tiny outfits and where where am i going to get a game like there's some games yeah, like i have don't look at the war like uh osprey games i mean they are making amazing games but unless you drum up a lot of interest into them, you're not going to have a lot of players. Now, Gaslands, I have, uh, I taught some people, and luckily they have gone on to teach more people and built a community around it. And really, it's blown up. But I mean, that's not, that is the exception to the rule well and, and that's why i think we formed this channel is that when you let's say with osprey games and they're the classic example gamma wolves zona alpha i can buy those two and just put my games workshop models in them so you know and osprey charges a very low price and they only make like one run with the books that's it like whatever osprey publishes for that book line that's all they're going to sell after that point they'll just sell the pdf mm -hmm. copy of it but you know what? it's always there so it's 15 bucks you know after the splash release i mean i used to go to uh eagle and empire and there'd be like this uh one uh father and daughter and whatever the latest osprey games book was out they'd buy it they'd play it for a few weeks like every sunday in there because the store was empty and then they'd switch to something else. So it's like... It's good to do it. Yeah, their pay. And it's like, you know, it's one of those rules. It was only 15 bucks. I mean, for them to go to the movies, that 15 bucks might have got them in the door. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they yeah, got way more hours out of it. It's very expensive. So, I mean, so is gaming. But if there's ways around it, but also, I mean, how many other people could they get into that gaming routine? Yeah. So maybe one. Yeah. Maybe. So that's that's why I said, you know, um, I know the way I do it is pick 
pick a game and that's going to be your flagship game. And then be a completionist in it. And then everything else can just a bolt on. So um, that way you don't bankrupt yourself trying to chase every game and get every model because you're not going to be able to paint them all. So which one like, game did you choose? So that was accidentally Necromunda. So as, as Game Workshop ramped up from 7th to 8th to 9th, I basically had to scale down how much 40K I was buying. And um, I decided, I don't even know how, I just let me push into um, uh, Necromunda. And, you know, that is one tournament scene that is actually very enjoyable. So when I went to Nova Open and I did the tournament, Necromunda tournament, only eight people showed up. I mean, they only, you've got to compete for space in there because the Necromunda people, you're in the hallway to get from the atrium to the 40K tables. <laughs> so it's kind of, people were always walking by you. <laughs> so it's not like you had, not like the kill team people who had like their own little private tiny hall. Yeah, but, uh, you were, you were pushed to the side there. Yeah, it's like, oh, we have this access hallway um, to the Necromunda. And you know what? All the games I won in that tournament, which was only one, was because my opponent was so pissed drunk. But, you know, he didn't care. <laughs> you, That's and you usually know, how I lose most of my games in Infinity, if I ever, when I went to tournaments for that. So I could, um, so when I went to Nova Open and I saw the Infinity, because they kept them separate. Like oh, yeah. Normally, normally um, when you go into the uh, hotel, you've got to go down the escalator um and that's where most everyone is the infinity and the painting classes you go up so it's like the infinity and uh star wars destiny the the now dead dice game were up (laughs) and so you go up there and they just they were off to the side they locked them in there and those guys never left for like four days you just see the same people and they're like grinding at the games oh yeah so <laughs> it's like um they seem to be having fun but it's like uh i don't know i i, I fell into the necromunda one and it's because you buy a box and you're done yeah for every yeah, game that that is a very good like that is a release schedule that you could keep up with that you're i mean you're dropping what 100 to 200 dollars depending uh every four months maybe Every quarter, maybe? you know, uh, you probably do it for 135. If you made it 200, then you can start chipping away at the Forge World collections there. Yes, because yes. um, the Forge World ones you're looking at 30 bucks a model. Yeah, if they're fancy, Forge World fancy, <laughs> Forge World fancy. Yes, uh, all right. Well, I think I think we beat Daniel's question to death. Um, and who knows why they do it because they can. Because the mark, the market will bear it. The market but, will bear it. But you know, this buy. is this leads into the horizon scan of like what in the future are we going to get excited about? And after last time, I I said nothing. But what am I excited about now? SPQR. Brian, what are you excited about? Well, we kind of discussed it uh, beforehand, um, and a couple of things that I play for AOS. I have uh, my Legions of Nagash. Um, which haven't had a lot of new models. 
um, released uh, since I've been playing. Um, but we're getting some new death models, some new zombies, and some new skeletons. And they're all going to be in a special box. It was the Cursed City. The Cursed City, yes. Uh, so I know we've talked about that one before. And the first time they teased that, they had the one Inquisitor there, like the Age of Sigmar Witch Hunter. Yes. And it said, like, almost what two clips, some extra bits, and you're there at like a 40K Inquisitor. And so today I saw they released all the pictures of the models in there, 50 models in that box. And just looking at the, so it's basically a Blackstone Fortress, but for Age of Sigmar. So you're yes. just going to get a ton of models and looking at all the hero models, except for one, there's almost no conversion to turn them into 40K, like Blanchisu style models. I'd say and, there's two. There's the, there's, one that's the the witch hunter type dude and that'd be really good for uh inquisitor um and there's another one that almost looks exactly like janice drake from blackstone fortress yes <laughs> so you could just a simple weapon conversion on that one and then you have a rogue trader well no I, that's what i'm saying i think any one of those models i can convert to inquisitor or um necromunda like a character there except the elf with the bow out of the eight heroes yeah, that that would be a little bit difficult to convert the elf. Like, what what would I make her to make her? More See, I'm looking at those. I'm just like, oh well, all the heroes. That's that's a warband for. Uh, War Frostgrave. Yeah, oh, Frostgrave. That, yeah, that's yeah. A, yeah that's, well. a, that's a Frostgrave warband, and then you have like zombies and armored skeletons and other things that are really good for miniatures for Frostgrave. And so, and you also get a full board game experience out of it. Yeah. And looking at the undead in there that I thought of Frostgrave too, when I saw that, when you see the undead skeletons in there, cause those are, they took this, uh, the sepulchral guard from like their Warhammer under uh, underworlds. Yeah. And, and uh, up to by Shades, but, Oh yeah. So he's like, you could have like a whole, for um, Vanguard, the Kings of War skirmish mm -hmm. games, like well, you have an undead army there. Those those are some amazing models in there. But fifty, I can only imagine what the price is going to be. That fifty in cardboard, I'm, I'm thinking two sixty. Yeah, which which is what killed Blackstone Fortress. I mean, beautiful models, and people and had a good game. It. It's a yeah. fun game, but the price um, that. So going back to our game design, the entry-level price point, um, I wish they would lower it on these boxes and just make it up on the expansion boxes. Yeah. Um, and gosh, even the Blackstone Fortress expansive expansion boxes were expensive. <laughs> like yeah, 50 bucks so, a I box. I mean, like the smaller ones were decent, but like with the big one, that one was like a hundred dollars. Ascension and uh, the one where you got the eight extra heroes; those were one hundred and ten each. Yeah. So it's, it's like you're you're quickly into five hundred bucks to be a completionist on for game. what a board game. A board game. Now a board game. I'm I'm hoping that with so with the Blackstone Fortress, they did make all those models playable and kilting. 
They, it, uh, David, it, uh, it says that it comes with uh, the War Scrolls to play it in AOS. But I want it in Warcry. So whatever Warcry annual they're coming out with, I'd like them. I know they got rid of monsters and mercenaries when they upgraded. Um, they now call them like allies or something. Um, yeah. I mean, the monsters are like, that book's still valid, but yes. But with the four expansions into like Order yes. Death, if you have those books, they're supposed to supersede the monsters and mercenaries. Yes. yes. So I wonder if I show up at a game and someone has the monsters and mercenaries book and I pull out my book and say, ah, yours is now superseded. <laughs> Get rid of those models. <laughs> it's like, Swipe them off the table. Yeah. Those no longer apply. My Away with me. <laughs> yeah. So I, I hope they do that. But of course, by the time they do that, if you don't buy that box right then, it's going to be gone. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know what? It'll be somewhere in Lakewood, Colorado. There's like this little store, Tom Cafe. That guy buys a ton of box sets for everything. I think he still has some like the Talons of the Emperor, like Custodes boxes from like three years ago. <laughs> Hey, there's little the, those stores in small towns like they have their clientele that keeps them in business and then like they have stuff that they overbuy and like if you go if you find them they got gems they have diamonds in the rough and you find them and like that's why i like anytime i go to a new 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 city i check do they have board game store i go check it out see what they have Go check out the sale table first and go check out their inventory. And then I go to the bigger stores if it's like a bigger city, because of course the bigger stores are going to have a lot of stuff, but like those, the small town, small board game stores, those, those are the best places to get old, old new stock of miniature games. There, I won't say the store because I don't want anyone to go in there, but there's a little place in uh, Virginia that I always go to because that guy, I don't think there's a game he can turn down. Now he charges $5 more, but it beats eBay gouge prices to get some of like the Necromunda stuff. That's like online only like he gets those. Yeah. So it's like, okay, I, I know he's my safety valve. If I can't get my hands on it, he probably bought a copy and no one in that poor depressed town wants to buy it. Um, I'll go there and I'll, I'll pick it up. But uh, yeah, so I'm I'm kind of excited about Curse City, but I'm also afraid because it's kind of like Pariah Nexus for me. How much for that box? That that kind of scares me. Yeah. yeah. One one thing I am excited though is looking at Stargrave, and I forget who mentioned this. I think maybe it was on tabletop, but so they're going to come out with aliens, similar like um, they have the Oathmark. And um, Frostgrave miniatures for those miniature and games that has its own miniature line. They're going to do that for Stargrave. And someone pointed out that the Aliens box for Stargrave, a lot of those guys actually look like background characters in the cantina um, in Star Wars. So I actually thought about it. It's like, so I could play Stargrave with my, I've got the Legion Stormtroopers. Yeah. And then I... It's like, I, well, look at those aliens. I could run um, Star Wars Legion versus like, you know, Rebel Scum or like, um, the, uh, I forget, I'm blanking on what they call the criminal, enter- the various criminal enterprises that haunt the fringe 
of uh, oh scum and villainy scum and villainy that's the faction name but I, f- I know there's a couple different uh like the huts and like a couple yeah, yeah um different groups there but it's like okay that's cool because i've thought about playing star wars legion with specter operations um just yeah that way i can use the miniatures that way yeah it's like well now i got well you know what it's the miniature box though now i can make generic aliens that aren't metal they're plastic sprues so a lot of customizability so it's like okay that's cool i'll see when that box comes out because i know what's going to happen is as soon as that comes out War Games Atlantic will make a knockoff box of it yes, and charge exactly. even less. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's that's how it goes. Yeah, War Games Atlantic does a good job of stock of uh, basically miniature stocking Warlord Games and Games Workshop and making cheaper boxes of stuff. <laughs> it's like, do you want that but cheaper? We'll do it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I wonder so, if Cromlech's going to be doing a. Uh terrain set for uh stargrave you know that's a good point you know they only started doing that what what four how many years after frostgrave came out it was like big enough before it got big enough for crom like to like step in but it's already based off of a big game and it's stepping into sci-fi which is what their bread and butter is so well you know i i think joe joe Going back to our original topic, I think Joseph McCullough is actually starting to cross that line of where his rule books are getting enough attention that they're actually driving miniature manufacturing mm-hmm. to the point of where originally when he wrote Frostgrave, the miniatures came much later. Like, hey, this yes. is big enough. That Stargrave, they're making miniatures before the book has even dropped. So yeah. he's actually starting to become that institution, that breakout of... Uh, like, he makes okay, a game. There, I mean, Oath, Oathmark. They were, yeah, the Oathmark was I, the you same. You were able to buy Oathmark miniatures before you could buy the book. Now, I'll give you that. There's plenty of miniature agnostic games that can drive the sale of dwarves. Like, hey, I want to make more dwarves. Someone will buy them. Oh, exactly. But you're right. For them to put the Oathmark label, they knew that Joseph McCall's game is going to move plastic. And like... So he's done that with Oathmark. And he's going to do that with Stargrave. So that that yep. guy is starting to become his own machine yes. in the uh, Osprey Games universe. There. Yeah, he's and, he's their he's their uh, Steve Jackson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know that that'd be the next step to give him his own imprint, making like his own Warlord games. Yeah. <laughs> Os- Osprey owns Warlord with games. The Joseph McCullo stamp. Yeah, it's like he owns his own studio within there. You know, that that's the thing I like. I like Games Workshop specialty studios. Yes. And so Warlord Games is basically a studio under Osprey. And I could see Joseph McCullough's moving up to being his own studio under Osprey. I mean, he writes enough material that it could oh, be. Jesus. <laughs> he it's like uh multiplicity. He's got his clones in the yes. in the basement there, <laughs> just cranking out. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we're going to call that a day for uh, this podcast. You know what? My name is James. I'm Brian. And thank you for joining us today. We'll see you next time. 